Hey y'all, this is Culture Soup, where tech, culture, and business collide. It's a podcast that spoons up everything hot from social media. I'm your host, L. Michelle Smith, and each episode, we bring you some of the most notable and not yet notable thought leaders in tech, business, and culture. The year was 2020, and we were just on the other side of the lockdown. We were beginning to see politicians try to open the country back up, and we're talking business-wise. But still, there was really no end in sight for this pandemic that we found ourselves in. One of the first indicators that I knew that something had shifted was when the jobs numbers came out. And they reported that millions of women had left the workforce. And it wasn't all because they'd been pushed out. It was because they decided to move on. Now, it's complicated. The nuances show that women are the primary caretakers in the home. So with kids having to do online school at home. You had folks having to take care of aging parents. You had people who were seeing about loved ones who had become ill. A lot of women were forced out that way. Still others were making their minds up that there had to be another way. This was the first indication. The second indication came when we went back to business about the time that the vaccine became a thing and more workers were called back to work in retail and other frontline areas and they just didn't return. In fact, to this day, you can see signs in storefronts that say help wanted now hiring. People weren't returning to their restaurant jobs or their grocery shopping jobs or their retail jobs of any kind. What was going on? I even saw the trend in my clientele where many were opting to start their own businesses and others were taking a look around at other opportunities at other companies. You know, people are calling this the great resignation. And I've said in a few different speaking opportunities lately that I like to call it the great opt-out. Why? Because the great resignation ignores a very keen insight that people don't just resign. They resign because they have options. This is why I call it the great opt-out. And because more and more people have access to the internet and the internet is democratized, people found other opportunities. For instance, a recent NPR report showed that many restaurant workers had spent their time on lockdown on the internet, upskilling, getting certifications in digital and social media fields, sometimes even technology, they found a way to make way more money than the tips and teeny salaries that they had at the restaurants. Still others 
not unlike some of my clients, because geography was no longer an issue and many companies were saying you can work remotely, they were able to expand their opportunities. I had one client four times her salary after receiving three or four offers from similar companies. The great opt-out is real. There are other reasons why people don't want to return to work. And it's about the workplace itself. 40% of Americans said in a recent report that if their company called them back to the workplace full-time, 40% of them said they quit outright. What's going on? Well, I called on the workplace doctor. You remember Natasha. She was on about two years ago. She is an HR guru, and she is counseling her clients to get their workplace culture act together. Without further ado, I reintroduce to you my friend, Natasha Bowman, the workplace doctor. Let's get it. Everybody, I'm excited to have Natasha Bowman. You know her as the workplace doctor. You've probably come across her on LinkedIn. She's one of those influencers that you see, but she's not just an influencer. She's doing the work. She works with corporations and organizations to make sure that their workplaces are inclusive and also that they're operating with great cultures. Natasha, great to see you again. Welcome back. How are you, my friend? Thank you for having me back. It's awesome. I'm great. Sounds like you're great, too. It's been a while since we've talked. Yes, I was just thinking. I think it was right before the pandemic. Uh, we were both in full swing. And I think just maybe a couple months after that, you know, the, the world came to a halt. So I'm so glad to be with here with you, happy and healthy um, after, not really after, as we still continue to go through. I keep wanting to be over, but it's not. But, we all want uh, it to be over. <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving, but yeah. I'm so glad to, to be back here with you. I'm glad to see you too, Natasha. You know what? Before we get going, what do you say we have a culture soup moment? All right. Awesome. Okay. So I'm always scanning the feeds and looking at social media to see what the trending topics are. And there is this conversation that's ongoing um, since the pandemic kind of made it to the way to the point where we were getting vaccinated. At least half of us were and <laughs> beginning to get calls from the job to return to the office. Mm-hmm. And they're calling it the great resignation. And, you know, I got to tell you, um, I did a keynote probably about three weeks ago with the DCEO event here in Dallas. And mm-hmm. I challenged that um that concept of the great resignation, because I think it leaves out a great insight. And that is people have options now. So I call it the great yes. opt out. What are your thoughts about that? Well, it's funny you said, you know, people were getting called back to the office. I think about your book and they simply said, no, thanks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I like to call the great resignation like the great frustration, because like you said, people have opted out of that. And 
I think my theory, and based upon what I've spoken to people who have opted out of returning back to the office, is that people finally had a chance to see what it was like being psychologically safe while working. And what I mean by that is a lot of people, you know, had the opportunity to, to work without working in a toxic work environment. Right. So you're not there on day to day dealing with microaggressions and some of those other things that contribute to us not feeling psychologically safe. So people have enjoyed working at home. They have enjoyed the psychological safety that has gone along with that. They've enjoyed the flexibility time to reconnect with their family. And people are just prioritizing now things that they weren't able to prioritize while working in the office environment. So when I call it the great frustration, it was finally, you know what? I've become so frustrated with toxic work cultures Mm -hmm. that I'm not returning back to that. And what we've seen over this past year and a half is that we finally have realized that health is wealth. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm not going to put my sight, you know, my brain through that, my my mental health through that, my physical health through that. And I'm going to do what's right for me. And and therefore, you know, working in that environment, um, I'm just not returning back to the same thing. You know, it's interesting because we had this conversation as well um, with the group that I was um, Mm -hmm. talking about just now. And that was around just sitting in the brokenness of the pandemic. And all of the craziness that was going on around us, the death, the destruction, the jobless rates, the economy faltering, Mm -hmm. um, the lockdown, all of this stuff. But there was some collateral beauty in it for a lot of people. And you mentioned something that's very important, especially for people who are historically underrepresented, uh, Mm -hmm. maybe even marginalized, even as women. Mm-hmm. We've gone into this workplace and faced all of these sometimes unspoken um, things like microaggressions and such. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we found solace in being camera off on some That's of these right. Zoom calls. Yes. I had many yeah. clients that said that they love the idea that they could just not face the folks that they had to face day in and day mm-hmm. out. Were you mm-hmm. hearing things like that? Oh, absolutely. You know, because the other side of feeling psychologically safe is that, okay, let's say that, you know, I work in this toxic work environment and was dealing with certain things. And when I came home, this was my safe place where I felt psychologically safe. And now I've invited that toxic work environment into my home. Yeah. So now looking at the same, the the very people that have caused me great deal and stress and discontent now in my safe place. So now, like exactly like you described, I don't even want to do that anymore. I'm mm-hmm. not inviting that culture into my home anymore, into my safe space. And you're right. There's a lot of Zoom fatigue, you mm-hmm. know, um, and I when I'm, um, you know, uh, doing a lot of training about inclusion. You know, I also talk about what does inclusion look like in the virtual workplace? Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of times we think about engagement and experience and inclusion. It's only for sitting side by side with each other. But to me, as we talk through these virtual walls, you know, our computer screen, right, um, that also invites a great deal of bias, a great deal of assumptions and things like that. Because now you have a preview into a world that you didn't know, you know, things yeah. about me that you didn't know previously. So perhaps I didn't disclose at work what my sexual orientation is or what my disability status is or or my familiar status or socioeconomic status. And now you get to glimpse right behind me and see certain things that maybe I didn't want you to see and maybe I don't feel comfortable seeing. 
And guess what? Now I got to clean up my room so that, you right. know, <laughs> it was great workspace. So again, I think it's just a two way street. I, you know, if you didn't have a culture that invited inclusion and positivity, then, you know, it doesn't matter if it's on site, off site. Many people just said, as your book says, no thanks. No thanks. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, um, these are conversations that I have with more and more sponsors for people who are having um, executives coached mm-hmm. and they might say, well, you know what? I really want them to step up and lead. And even when we have our client calls, they'll show up camera off. Well, one of the things that I learned in the midst of pandemic while I was lecturing at uni- the university was that we did not mandate that people be camera on for some of the reasons that you kind of alluded to. And that is, you know, you don't have an understanding of what people's worlds are. And if they live in a tiny space or a space that they don't think is, you know, that they want to share, people will actually start to judge you based on what's behind you or things that aren't behind you. Some of these students had other siblings that were trying to share the same device, (laughs) you know, to get their work done. And suddenly, Uh you know, Zoom became a window into people's homes. It was Uh a little bit intrusive. It is. It is. Absolutely. You know, so you're right. It should add, I hear a lot of debate with the clients that I support of, should it be camera on, camera, camera off? And I'm like, well, why does there have to be a policy around it? Can it just be your preference, right? I'm a camera on people. I'm a people person. I want to look people straight in their eyes when I talk to them, but that's my preference. That's what makes me comfortable, right? It should be just a level of comfort. Maybe some days, you know what? I just don't feel well today. I don't want to put on makeup. I don't want to be camera ready. I don't want to clean up my room, you know? So those days are camera off. Just let's let this be, again, if we talk about that word inclusion, we've mm-hmm. got to bring inclusion to the virtual workplace. Yeah. And part of that inclusive environment is understanding people's preferences in terms of camera. I'm here. I'm working. Yeah. I'm being productive. You hear me. What's the difference if, if you see me, right? And if we think about, you know, just maybe a couple of years prior to um, the pandemic, you know, we, we had platforms that, that you used, you know, and a couple of other things. But we were using conference calls a That's lot. That's what right? I was going to say. It's like we forgot. It's like, <laughs> what happened to the conference call? And, you know, I, we know what it is. We had some of these old school cultures at work that felt like we need to be looking at you because now you're working at home. It's an air of distrust. It is. And people feel that. And it causes them to react in a certain way as well. How does that have a negative impact on the culture. Absolutely. It is a, it is a thing of trust, right? You, you see, I'm being productive. You see that I'm probably being more productive here than I am actually in my workspace and my physical work environment. And when you're saying I need to look at you is for some reason, I need to prove to you that I'm present, right? We had all kinds of world transactions that happened globally um, through conference calls, through just picking up a telephone, you know, but for some reason, it's just a level of trust. And again, it's bringing that same toxic work energy into our homes, right? And that has facilitated um, that just that need to, you know what, I don't have to return one way or the other, whether it's remote or on-site, I'm tired of dealing with just this distrust. I'm tired of the you know lack of flexibility because now you're bringing all these stern policies and putting me in a box 
in my own home. Yeah. So again, when we talk about inclusion, it should just be whatever your preference is on that day, in that moment, for that meeting, that's okay with me. Yeah, and you know, um, technology is playing such a big role. We mentioned Zoom. Uh, we haven't mentioned all the other tools, but, mm-hmm. you know, my team is very virtual. They're all over the place. They're international. <laughs> they're here. They're there. They're everywhere. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's amazing how, and I guess personalities drive this too. Mm-hmm. I'd rather not have a bunch of meetings. I spend time meeting with my clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right. when it comes to my team, there are other ways around it. You know, we've got Slack. Um, and any of these platforms allow you mm-hmm. to click through and either have an audio conversation or a video conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, you can even have project management software that's kind of a, a, a knowledge sharing. Right. This all speaks to culture. That's the culture of my business. Right. But how many of these companies are appearing to be tone deaf to the way society has shifted and mm-hmm. using these weapons of mass innovation, how many of them are you hearing are demanding folks to come back to the physical space? Oh, I am hearing a lot of them. Surprisingly, a lot. I, I am more and more surprised every day of the people that are demanding their employees to come back to the physical space. And I just can't figure out why, you know, despite. Is it you the know, lease? Is it, is it we own this big building? I and think it goes back to trust again. Yeah. I think it just goes back to trust. I want to see you. I want you to be here. I want you to have presence and all of the things that they come up with. Um, and again, you know, it's, you know, people are like, why don't you trust me? I have done a fantastic job for the past year and a half. I've gotten my job done plus, plus, plus. And by the way, you know, I think that we are disrespecting, you know, because a lot mm. of people are very little notice of the return back, right? And not given the opportunity to adjust their lifestyles back to that, right? Yeah. And we about what an adjustment that is. Because like I said, now, I have got to get fully dressed. Not just put on a cute top, you know, I've got to get fully dressed. Right. I've got to somehow find daycare, transportation. I've got to commute. You, I live in New York City, right? So if you think about it, you know, um, I live in New York City and to, to get to various places to clients. It's hard. I went back to my, you know, old, you know, physical job. It would have been a, an hour and a half, you know, one way. So that's adding three countless, uh, you mm-hmm. know, hours, mm-hmm. three unproductive hours. Yeah back into my work day that I really could be spending, you know, being productive for you Absolutely. and then I can't be being productive for you. So again, it doesn't make sense. I think it just goes back to trust. Now, a lot of employers have, you know, leverage just what you talked about. Why am I paying this significant rent? Why am I, you know, doing these things? I can save money. And I've even seen some employers that have given their employees a bonus to mm-hmm. say, Hey, save this much and lease and electricity and all of these things we're giving that back to you well you that's beautiful okay so yes that's employee engagement that's mm-hmm. appreciation but going back to what i was saying earlier with the with the respect part is that you know one day you just got a call or email saying stay at home and we quickly adjusted ourselves to that right mm-hmm. very very quickly you know and people were very agile and flexible along with all the the mental things that were happening we didn't know what we were facing in terms of the pandemic and people adjusted just very very quickly 
you need to show appreciation for that. And many mm-hmm. people, especially the people that stuck with you and by you and continue to be to contribute their value. And we're paying people, you know, bonuses to come in, right? Higher bonus, sign on bonuses, because we are, you know, scrappling for, for labor. But what about the appreciation of people that stayed? Right? You know what? That's an excellent point about appreciation because this gets back to my point about the great opt out. The reason mm-hmm. why I use the word opt is because we now have more options than mm-hmm. ever, thanks to primarily the democratization of the Internet. So go right. with me, if you will, to the restaurants that many of us are enjoying going back to now that we're vaccinated and you know, it's a little bit more open now, but you Uh will more than likely see a now hiring sign that doesn't go away. And Mm -hmm. there's a reason for that. Absolutely. Um, Mostly these folks that were existing on low pay and tips found out during the lockdown that they could go on the internet, get some kind of certification upskill in some way and they're Mm -hmm. making more money than they've ever made in their lives absolutely they're monetizing their talent they couldn't get them to come back Mm -hmm. and then you have white collar professionals that figured out that geography may not be such a big deal anymore Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. they can apply for that job in palo alto even though the folks in palo alto weren't asking you to move you know suddenly they could go and work for google or work for twitter or someone Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they forex their salary they 2x their salary they did and this was all because of the internet Mm -hmm. we have options as individuals and these big companies fail to see it they do. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up even the location part, because mm-hmm. another thing I'm hearing is, well, if you did move. So a lot of people left, you know, New York City, for example, where I live. It was a, a great exodus. It was yes. like, oh, this is my opportunity to live in a cheaper location, mm-hmm. make family, not deal with traffic, et cetera, et cetera, and still collect my New York salary. And now I'm hearing organizations say, well, now we're doing, you know, a location market adjustment. So if you move from New too. York. So Alabama, we're going to bring your salary down to an Alabama. That is uh, cruel. And I'm like, you don't pay me for where I live. You pay me for the experience and the value that I bring to this organization. Yeah. You know, so again, that lack of appreciation, that lack of trust, that lack of recognition of what, what I've been able to do. So again, I think that is just one of the most terrible things that an organization can do. And it's going to backfire. People are not going to come rushing back to New York City just because you're adjusting my salary. Okay, fine. Like you just said, I can go to an, an organization and maybe a brand that I've always wanted to work for, but I couldn't move to California or wherever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and they're going to pay me California salary. I'm going to be able to live where I want to live. And again, provide me that that uh, flexibility that I've always wanted. So many yeah. organizations have absolutely gotten this wrong. Mm-hmm. And people are like, I am not returning. I tell leaders all the time, if you not have, if you have not used this opportunity to adjust your culture and you expect people to walk back into the same culture that they walked out of, you need to think again because they're yeah. not. Walking You're right about that. I was talking to an officer at a pretty large company and asked if they would consider doing what, say, um, I think Twitter was one of the main ones that said, don't come back to their employers, mm-hmm. employees, mm-hmm. just work wherever you're working from. Some people moved to Hawaii, you know, they were working, having yep. a good time. Um, but one of the things that she raised, which I thought was interesting, was that if they continue to allow their people to work wherever they were remotely in different mm-hmm. states, cities, what have you, 
there were different tax laws that would hit them mm-hmm. all of a sudden in all of these yeah. different places. Yeah. And that, that was more sense. of a reasonable, I thought, mm-hmm. reason mm-hmm. for sticking to the status quo than, oh, gee, well, then we're just going to adjust their salary based on the cost of living. That just seems right, cruel. Right. You're right. There are some legal implications. There's tax implications. There's workers' comp implications. So if I'm, you know, if I'm on the clock and I'm working from home and then I fall under over my own you know, weight at home, is that a workers' comp claim because... I was on the clock and this is my profession of work. And then you've got complicated labor and employment laws. Like, you know, let's say I, I do move to California mm-hmm. and, I, you, know, my, I'm, you know, my company is based in Wisconsin where there's few labor and employment laws and adding that complication to it. I get that. Yeah. And, and you're right. Maybe that is, you know, something for discussion or something like that. But you've got to think about it. Your global brands, they have already solved for that situation. Yeah. You know, I started out my legal career at Walmart mm-hmm. where we had employees in every state, you know, across the 50 states. We figured it out. You yeah. know, and, and that was my job was to literally figure out the laws of every 50 states and make sure that we were in compliance with them. And I understand that every every organization has the same resources um, as a as a large organization like Walmart to, to do something like that. But again, it goes back to respect. So let's yeah. have a two-way conversation. This is my challenge. My challenge as your employer, I would love for you to stay in California. But California laws are so complex. This is the let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can uh, reconfigure what your actual title is, or something. Not title, but the way that you are employed with us. You know, mm-hmm. maybe there's a way around it. There's loopholes in terms of contract or this, and you know, let, let's have a two way conversation. And then if we're not able to, you know, come with an agreement of, hey, I can't have employees in California, um, then we can say, hey, here are your options. You know, yeah. back. But let's. Let's talk about it first. Let's come up. Let's get suggestions from our employees. Let's get employees involved. Let's try to, you know, go through every option before we just email and say back to the office or email and say your salary is going to be reduced or whatever it is. And I think that's the respect part. People, you know, want to be respected. They want to be valued for what they've done over the past year and a half. And so have a respectful conversation about your life has adjusted significantly. We would love to keep you on, but let's talk about the challenges of that. And let's also talk about what suggestions you may have to get around those challenges. Good. Respect that so much more than you just giving out, you know, all of these directives about what your next step should be. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. It sounds like they need to humanize the way they interact with employees and um, interject empathy and compassion. I mean, all of those things undergird respect. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to ask you to read some tea leaves. Okay. okay. So okay. based on the pandemic now and even before, what do you see in the future? Let's say down the line, how have workplaces changed? Oh, wow. You know, just it's significant change. You know, I think going back to what we just talked about, we're, we're seeing a mobile workforce, right? Mm-hmm. Where people are going to be working from wherever they're working from, from a location standpoint, and they're going to be very, very mobile. And they're going to want that flexibility of, of being mobile. Some people went to Mexico because Mexico is allowing six months visas. You know, you could just work down there, live cheap and on the beach and, you know, go for it. So we're going to see a mobile workforce. We're going to see a workforce where, you know, people are no longer not going to hold their organizations accountable for mm-hmm. um, their work culture, mm-hmm. right? Um, so we're, we're going to see that, which means if you want to hire 
the best and the brightest talent, then your work culture, you have to, you're going to have to talk about that. You're going to have to really hold yourself accountable. And that's really what you're going to see this reverse interviewing. Well, it's not, I'm interviewing you for a job. I'm interviewing you to see if you get to have me. Yes. Those are those <laughs> options coming through again, right? Exactly. Exactly. But I'm hoping that the most significant change will be one of creating a more diverse workplace, because as I have talked, um, spoken with my clients, which are mostly in advertising, media and tech, um, which is a predominant, those three are predominantly just white fields, just mm -hmm. to and professions. And they have told me that their most significant challenge is that, hey, we're not able to recruit diverse talent because of some sort of geographic um, you know, right. Location. And now I'm like, or, you know, we can recruit if people don't want to move to expensive New York or expensive California where they're, you know, located in these large metro cities. But now, you know, with that ability, if you're still offering remote work, um, then I hope that that broadens the net for mm -hmm. people who no longer use that excuse because yeah. now you can tap into talent globally, right? And that takes away that. So that's what I'm really hoping to see. Yeah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that into the tea leaves. Yes. Existence. <laughs> um, but again, it, it takes away the excuse, it broadens the neck, and it also creates more opportunities for those that have been work, wanting to work in, in certain industries that, that were primarily located in metropolitan areas where they're not able to relocate, right? Right, right. Because if you look at the impact of the pandemic, we know that it has impacted women significantly, mm -hmm. it impacted black women significantly. Mm -hmm. And what we know is that as women in the workplace, we need we need resources and support yes. right, to help us. So if I've moved to closer where my family is or if I can't leave my resources to go into these bigger, more expensive metropolitan areas where I don't know anybody, this gives me an opportunity. Right. This flexibility to stay where I am around family, friends and support system. Um, this gives me the flexibility and the opportunity to that I have not been presented to living in in, you know, some random city in Mississippi. Right. right. So, um, so again, that, that's what I'm hoping um, that will happen. We'll see what the excuse will be in five years. <laughs> if that but that's what I'm pushing back on. I don't want to hear that anymore. This geographic location, you can now, you know, widen that neck and right. recruit for what you need. Fantastic. Natasha, you have something coming up. It should be released early next year. Yes, Talk early to us next about year. it. My next book, um, The Power of One, Leading with Civility, Candor, and Courage, yeah. um, will be published early next year. And I'm so excited for this project because it speaks to exactly what we've been talking about during this conversation. You thought talks about leading with human, you know, bringing humanity back into the workplace and empathy and respect. Mm -hmm. It talks about all of that. Your post-pandemic leader has to lead differently than what they led before. And there's just an expectation of that, right? Yeah. We can't go from being compassionate because people were scared for their lives or scared for their families' lives. And, you know, we were so flexible. And I, I just saw so many traits that, honestly, I had not seen before, yeah. you know. Even, you know, the fact that we went through a racial reckoning, you know, during the, the pandemic and you had organizational leaders come forward and say Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. you know, that made my jaw just drop. Like we are literally saying this at work now. Yes. You know? 
so you, 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 you've got to keep that momentum going. And so therefore, you know, I actually started to write this book after I delivered my TED Talk, The Power of One, mm-hmm. in 2018, and it was completed. And for some reason, I just sat on it. I don't know why. I did nothing with it. I didn't submit it to publishers. It just sat well, in my The timing is great now. And, then the <laughs> and now I had so much more to say, mm-hmm. right, about being a post-pandemic leader. Um, so I'm excited for this. Hopefully, you know, it's, it's one of the, the first books that's going to come out that really addresses what the workplace should look like in terms of inclusion um, in, in um, this post-pandemic world. But the focus, I do a lot of leadership development, Mm -hmm. but the focus is not necessarily on organizational leaders. The focus is on empowering individuals who transform their workplace cultures. Because when we think about a cultural transformation, we can have all the initiatives and programs and all those things in place on paper that we can, and we can throw all kind of money at it. When we think about what culture is, people culture is what people consistently see, do, and hear, mm-hmm. right? And their individual actions. So what I'd like to do is focus more on individual contributors and their actions and their behaviors and how that impacts, you know, their colleagues and peers and what they can do, what their order what are their ordinary actions that influence extraordinary change. Oh, I love and that. And that's where the focus of the power of one, my new book, is on. Just that those individual ordinary actions. Well, congratulations on the book. I'm excited for it. Can't wait to get my hands on it. And you guys out there just look for the announcements. They gotta be able to follow you though right where can they find you so as you just said linkedin is my thing Um, (laughs) that's where you primarily see me so just type in natasha bowman um, jd and uh, follow me on linkedin that's where i post the majority of my content um in my um, thought leadership and i would love to engage in conversation um with you um about you know what are your experiencing what what are you experiencing in the workplace that helps me so much as i develop strategies to help leaders to maximize the potential of their workforce but more importantly it helps me to um, influence them about what it takes to create inclusive cultures i need to know what's going on out there yes, right yes yes so yes i definitely invite you to to join me over in linkedin and and let's talk absolutely natasha it's been a pleasure having you on thanks for coming back you know you are always welcome just ring my bell or or drop me an email or hit me on linkedin whichever you want to do i appreciate you coming it's so good to be back and continue your success you are just such a gem to watch from afar and i'm always so proud of the work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Natasha. You have a great day. Thank Bye. You. Bye. What an awesome conversation with the workplace doctor herself, Natasha Bowman. Thank you so much for coming on, Natasha. And we're looking forward to that book. Find us online at theculturesoup.com, on Instagram and Twitter at The Culture Soup, and on Facebook at The Culture Soup Podcast. Until next time. The Culture Soup Podcast is a production of No Size Communication, LLC. The Culture Soup Podcast is a registered trademark of No Silos Communications, LLC.